Our Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We thank you that we can gather like this. I pray that you will open our hearts and our minds, that we would receive what you have for us today through Todd. I pray that you'll bless him with a clear mind and boldness and clear thoughts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning to all of you, and I greet you this morning in the name of Christ. You can turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. And studying for the message today, it felt a little bit like pulling spaghetti together. Uh, hopefully that we can understand something that I believe is important for us to stand, understand in our generation. Uh, someone lamented, you know, nothing is ever done until everyone is convinced that it ought to be done. And until everyone has been convinced, it has taken so long that it is now time to do something else. You ever feel that way? <laughs> it's just like, finally, but actually, it's the next step by now, right? Uh, Leo Tolstoy had a good quote. Everybody thinks of changing humanity. No one thinks of changing himself. How many of you know somebody like that? So you're the people. Huh? Everybody thinks of change. And you know, I was meditating on his, his statement. We're good. Like, you can ask anybody in here about anybody else and say, could they change something? Everybody would have something on all of us. You know, if they would tweak that. But if I, if I would come to you and say, and, and what, what would you change about you? Huh. Well, I don't, I don't know. Don't know what I'd change about me. But I know what I'd change about everybody else. Everybody thinks of changing humanity. No one thinks of changing himself. <clears throat> There's a company in Geneva, Switzerland, that makes watches. This is the type of watches that they make. If you look, does anybody recognize this watch other than Eric and his children? Anybody can guess what brand this watch is. It has a little magnifier on the date, which should be a big clue. It's made in Geneva, Switzerland. Any guesses? A Rolex watch. Now, when you hear Rolex, what are you thinking? You're thinking, the preacher got a Rolex, right? <laughs> How did he get a Rolex? Uh, a Rolex watch, is, if you want a cheap Rolex watch, it is sold for three point three dollars so $3,500. We'll get you a used, cheap Rolex watch. Um, if you have the Cosmograph Daytona, it sold for $17.7 million, one watch, made in Geneva, Switzerland. So I like this watch. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to Eric. But to see a watch that says Rolex, wow. You know, there's some Rolexes that are real, that are very valuable, and there's some that are fake. You know how to tell the difference? There's a couple ways to tell the difference if this one's fake or not. Um, 
One is to get a magnifying glass and look at each number and look at each word and each writing and how it's centered. If it is a Rolex, there is no imperfections. Zero. Those numbers, those words are perfectly centered, perfectly written. Guaranteed. The other thing you can tell if it's fake or not is if you listen closely. If you hear it ticking, if I can hear it ticking, it's probably not a Rolex. Alright? Ticking makes a sound because there's an imperfection in the gears. It's just a little bit of an extra noise. A tick. A Rolex, men can't hear tick. Ladies can hear a tick, but men can't hear the, the tick of a Rolex. Uh, probably in actuality. There's another way to test if this one's real or not. And that is just to dunk it in the water. Now, I'm not going to do it, Eric. You don't have to shudder. But if I dunk this in the water for about 10 seconds and pull it out, if it's a Rolex, no water is going to get in the Rolex. If it isn't a Rolex, around that little gear right there, you're going to get water in. And you just ruined your watch. Can you imagine if I would say, you know, my grandpa, actually my grandpa didn't have a Rolex. He had a pocket watch that was pre-railroad car pocket watch. And it's a very expensive pocket watch worth thousands of dollars. If I would say, you know, this, this watch has been passed down, this is the third generation and I actually gave up all the other stuff that Grandpa had because I wanted the watch. This watch is worth money. I valued it. In fact, it's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's a Rolex, right? It's the model I want. And I passed that on to my son, who says, you know, Dad says this watch is worth Hundreds of thousands of dollars. And he as well would say, you know, to the other siblings, you take everything else of dad's and mom's and inheritance, I'll just take the watch. You fall on hard times and you take this watch into the jeweler's office. And the jeweler looks at it. And you're waiting for your big payday and he dips in a little bit of water and picks it up and looks at it. And he hands it back to you and says, I'll give you 50 cents. How would you feel? It was all a fake. Um, there's people that come to the end of their lives like that. Matthew 7:21 is extremely sobering to me. When it says in verse 21, Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. I thought it was interesting, the Sunday school lesson, casting out devils. We did that. They did that. It says they did that. And yet, when they were dipped in the water just for a second and looked at by the master jeweler, he said, it was all worthless. 
when somebody does something in Jesus' name, um, a lot of times, right, we, we look at that and say, well, that makes that act, that makes that person legitimate because they did it in Jesus' name. That makes that legitimate. <clears throat> Jesus said, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. The rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Somebody had asked me some time ago to expound on 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and what is it saying. And I'm trying to do that this morning. And I'm not saying I have all the answers on 1 Corinthians 3. Just trying to compare it scripture with scripture and saying, what is 1 Corinthians 3 saying to God's people today? I believe as Jesus said, all of us are building a life out of what we practically believe, or the word is doctrine. That's practical beliefs that we hold to. All of us are building a life out of doctrine. The doctrines we believe are compared to walls of a house, I believe, that are put on a foundation. Jesus said, Whoso heareth these sayings of mine, all right, and, and they're putting them in his life, it's like he's building on a foundation. He's got walls, he's got a foundation, they're connecting together. That's a person who's hearing Jesus' sayings. And there's another person that it describes that a person who isn't careful about how he's building on the foundation. And when the winds and when the rain comes, when they're, when it gets dunked into water, it doesn't come out so well. And, you know, Mennonites are really good Christians until they get dunked in water. You know a couple like that? I don't want to be critical of Mennonites. You're actually a really good Christian Sunday morning. How does it come when you're dunked in water? That's the real question. Because that proves what he's trying to look for. He's saying, He that doeth the will of my Father in heaven. When we're dunked in the water, he says, that's a real one there. That one's valuable. 1 Corinthians 3, I believe, is talking about the same thing. 1 Corinthians 3, starting at verse 9. <clears throat> We are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I appreciate he describes the bottom line there. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. Then it says, but he himself shall be saved Yet so as by fire. 
Now there's a couple things that we need to establish as foundational to this scripture in trying to understand it. And that is, first of all, the foundation of every Christian life is one and the same. No matter where you were raised, no matter what culture you're from, no matter what culture you're going to, no matter what your last name is, there's no other foundation for a Christian than that which is laid, and that is Jesus Christ. That has to be the foundation of every Christian's life. But then there's a variable that he speaks about. The variable is this. The variable comes in when he says, take heed how you build on that foundation. The foundation clearly is Jesus Christ, but take heed how you build thereon. Because every man's work will be tried on top of the foundation. Every man's work will be tried by fire. Or like Jesus said, by flood. There's going to be a proof time. Is it valuable? Is it worth something? Or is it just in God's mercy that He needs to wipe that off and help you recognize, you know, that actually wasn't anything worthwhile. In His mercy, He saves us by wiping that off and helping us recognize, I wasn't building my life actually on foundations. Sure, I had doctrines that I believed and was passed on to me, but they're not real to me in everyday life. They're not real to me when I get dipped in the water. Jesus in His mercy shows us that so that we can go to Him and be saved. Be saved from the way we were building. Now as you look at verse 15, the, probably the reason I was asked the question is this is the foundation verse that Catholics base their system of purgatory upon. A man is a sinner and he needs to go for a time to a place and is burned or purged through burning, purged through fire. And as believers pray for them, they will be saved. This is a separate place from heaven or hell where a fire will purge the people in preparation for heaven. Now we look at that and say, well, that, that, that's not right. You can't base that kind of a doctrine on this verse. And yet, what is this verse saying? Um the one thing it does say is the fire is going to try every man's work of what sort it is. It doesn't say the fire is going to burn the person himself until he's purged. But the fire guaranteed will try every man's work. <clears throat> so it's simply a revealing of the work. Verse 15, it says, He himself shall be saved. The word saved is a Greek word. And I can't say many Greek words, but I can say this one. It's sozo. How are things going? So-so, right? Well, this is one letter off. S-O-Z-O. So-so. And the word is a universal word. It means to deliver from a place of danger. Okay, so if, if you're on a path and you're working away and you have no idea that there's danger, alright? You're, you're ice fishing. You have no idea how thick the ice is or whatever. You don't realize the danger that's imminent and somebody so-zos you or delivers you from that lunatic state, right? That's what I consider a lot of ice fishermen on thin ice, but they say it's worth it. But somebody delivers you. Somebody brings you out of that dangerous spot. Friends, as, as I look at my own life and as I look at lives around me, we get so busy building and building, and we've always built this way. This is what works. We build this way. And we don't understand there's some selfishness getting worked in there. There's, there's some things in that building process that shouldn't be there. There's a little dip. 
things come out that reveal what our personal doctrine really is about. We're revealed by fire. When the fire comes, what kind of a person are you then? I believe that's what he's saying here. Delivered by fire. There's fire coming to try every man's work. To help deliver us from a place of danger. Where we can just be building and not be building on the sayings that God has delivered to us. Be in a position of serving the Lord, but the fire will prove every man's work. So in looking at it practically, I believe the fire here is describing an incredible personal test. Some people's Christian lives are in pieces when they face an incredible test. We're talking about a test of leukemia. We're talking about a test when life comes apart. When things crash on your life and you say, we had no idea. Now we're in hot water. Actually, the fire is burning is what's happening. And there's people who get angry at God. And there's people that use this fire as, now I can live as a victim because look what kind of fire we're in. The fire was actually given in love by God to help you recognize the actual quality and help testify to others what are you actually building with. Not just what creed has been passed on to you, not just what doctrine has been passed on to you, what are you building with when the fire comes and burns? And I believe it says here that a person can save themselves seeing the results of the fire and a new recognition of living as Jesus taught, not just by a doctrine that isn't real personally. Saved by the fire. Helps them see personal failures to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It comes, brings us to a place, the fires in life bring us to a place where we recognize, you know, I've been living more for me than for Him. That's what fires can do. They can save you from a place of danger. Lest we get to the end of life and we stand before the judge and He looks at us, is that a true replica of Jesus Christ? And He says, no. They were building on the wrong stuff. That's why the fires come to show us what are you really made of. The fire describes, I believe, an incredibly large personal test. A major life event. Some are building with gold and precious stone. And there's some people that have a lot of wood, hay, and stubble. And it's going to be scorched. There's going to be a proving time. But the other one I believe in is a probably what most of us are dealing with on a lot more regular basis, thankfully. But the flood, I believe, is more of an everyday personal test. The fire is describing an intense life event, incredible personal test. But when it, I believe when Jesus is talking about the flood, it's more about an everyday personal test. The rains descended. That's, that's a normal event. The floods came. Now that raises the stress level a little bit. The water's rising. But then it says, and the winds blew and beat upon the house. So it worked up from just an everyday thing that's raining to now it's flooding. Now we're a little bit more stressed. And now the winds are pounding on the house. 
your doctrine will be proved by fire and by flood. And this is the thrust of my message, and I hope it makes sense, and I don't know if it will. We hold to doctrine in this church of non-resistance, marriage and divorce, no swearing of oaths, woman's veiling, men uncovered heads, no murder. We hold to those doctrines. And we feel good about those doctrines. They, they have served us well. But you know, they mean nothing to us if in our personal lives we're going to pieces in everyday life. They mean nothing to us. It starts raining. The floods come. The winds beat. And the fires come. Does our walls stand? I believe the things that I just named off in a lot of ways can be described as prefab housing. Not against prefab housing or prefab walls. But this wall is handed to you. This is what we believe. This is what our church believes. And those things are good. Non-resistant. This is what we believe. This is what it encompasses. <clears throat> There's people who believe, you know, you should never murder. They would never kill anyone. Never. Wouldn't even cross their mind most of the time. But the rains come and blow on the house. A little bit at home, the rains come, the winds blow, and Dad, you get unglued at one of the children. You'd never murder him. It's just that you're angry. When Jesus gave, don't murder, and yet He said, can I tell you where it's really at? Don't be angry. Can you lay that aside? Don't be angry. Well, I'm an intense individual. All of us know intense individuals. That when the winds blow, I'm telling you, their house goes whoosh. But too many are standing there with a profession. I'm non-resistant. But I go to pieces if it starts raining and the flood starts rising. When the test comes, when we're dipped in the water, it shows, are you real? Are you a real watch? Or have you practiced Christianity for 50 years, 60 years, 70 years? And you have doctrines you want to pass on to the next generation. And yet, in everyday life, when the floods come, your house goes to pieces. You become unglued. Take you to a home of an older lady. She would never kill anyone. But you hear her talk about someone. And with this thing right here, she murders people. What's happening? Well, it rained a little. The water started coming up. And their house went... That was it. And it all gushed out here, right? But they have a firm doctrine that says, I will never murder someone. <clears throat> Maybe there's a fire of frustration that comes. And it comes to all of us. There's no one here as a dad that can say, angry? Who would ever need to be angry? Now we can give that impression. <clears throat> it's like the one fellow said, sometimes you'll find him on church, getting ready for church Sunday morning, and his hands will be around his children's neck, saying, 
Now quit it and get ready and let's go to church and hear about the love of Jesus. Right? When the walls come down. Doctrines are essential to living. But I fear that we can put our trust in a doctrine that isn't even real to us. But we feel justified because we somehow hold this doctrine. I think we need personal lives that look and if we are becoming unglued, we look and are saved by the fire. We're saved by saying, you know, somewhere I'm not building on Jesus saying, somewhere I'm getting it wrong. But if you're anything like me, everybody thinks of changing humanity. No one thinks of changing himself. How many of you have ever gotten ripped off? Ever get ripped off by somebody who knows they're ripping you off? Maybe they didn't even intend to. But now they know they took advantage of you and they don't really care. Is there something inside of you that says, pay me what thou owest? Now we believe the doctrine of non-resistance and we hold to that but as a businessman, when the floods come and the, and, and the rain blows, why is it always by somebody who would annoy you? That the house is going to be revealed. What, what, what's it made of? We believe the doctrine of non-resistance, but does it actually mean something to us in personal life when we're ripped off? I, I had a man, he owed me... I would, in my estimation, a pile of money. He knew it, and I knew it. On a deal. And he refused to pay. He said, I can't afford to pay. Okay, I just gave you the money yesterday. Your junk didn't work. You promised to give me my money back if your junk didn't work. I brought the stuff back within hours. And you're saying you don't have that money now? The rains come. The winds blow. And you know what? We as businessmen, you know what becomes important to us? Well, hey, there is a principle here. Right? You can't just take advantage of people. I'm not a doormat. That's the principle. But I believe in non-resistance. I believe when somebody slaps me on one side of the head, I'll turn to him the other also. I believe that. It's just, well, that guy probably don't know I believe that. And you probably never get the idea that I do believe that. Why is it never convenient to get ripped off? There was a lady that came... Turn to Matthew chapter 12. There was a lady that came into the store and um, she said she would like to return something. The item was dated to expire in a few weeks. And I said, well, when did you buy it? Six months ago. Great. <laughs> you bought six something six months ago at our store. You keep it in your cupboard for six months. And you see that it's about to expire and you return it and want your money back. How about 50%? No, she said, I want it all. Now, that's a ripoff. But i tell you one thing, it doesn't take much. It can take a couple dollars 
It can take one person ignoring you for just a little bit. And the floods go whoosh, right? And the winds start blowing. And you're going to find what your house, what you're really building for. That's what Jesus is saying. So there's a lot of people that are coming at the final day and they're going to say, Lord Jesus, look at my watch. I was raised a Mennonite. We believe in non-resistance. We believe in turning the other cheek. We believe in no murder. Look at my watch. And he says, you know what? Every time it was dipped in water, you went to pieces. Every time. And I tried to do that for you so that you could see you're building with the wrong stuff. It's my sayings. It's dying to self. It's not just some creed that's been passed on to you that somehow you got a nice watch. Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, it's painful even in this time, to see our houses crumble at very little inconveniences. And we see each other's houses crumble probably more than what we see our own houses crumble, in all honesty. And yet, do we recognize that it's so much easier to see that crumbling now than on that final day when He says, you know, there was deeper things I tried to teach you. You were hiding behind a doctrine that wasn't even real in your life. Matthew chapter 12. Jesus makes another statement. And this is actually the beginning part of my message. At the first, but now it's at the end. Matthew 12.33 Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Every idle word. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Friends, we're not known by our profession We're not even known by our faith. We're known by our fruit. Because a faith that doesn't produce fruit isn't anything. There there is nothing there. So he says here, Jesus says, what is the fruit coming out? You know, we all look at this probably the same way. Now, I was going to have a picture here of dyed blue water. But I realized that stains pretty quick, so I figured I better just keep regular water and go with that. If I put this rock in there, will gray water come out? What do you think, Jerry? But I'm putting something gray in. If I had blue water over here and I put a red rock in there, will red water come out? Uh, this is common sense. No, obviously not. If you got blue water and you put something in, blue's going to come out. Well, what's Jesus saying? What, what are we basing our lives on? He is saying, everything that comes out of here, you're going to give account for. Every word that comes out of here, you're going to give an account for. Why is that? Well, but I couldn't help saying those things because they really frosted me. 
They ripped me off. Did you see what they did? You see how many times they failed? Do you see how many? And you're thinking that it's because of what's going in. That's the color. You know, we're getting the wrong color out. That's the only reason we're getting the wrong color out. Jesus is saying, look, the well, what you put in here won't change the color that's coming out here. What comes out of the bucket is strictly a function of what is in the bucket. That's a good word from Simple Simon. What comes out of the bucket is simply a function of what's in the bucket. But when winds come, when fires come, when something's dropped in our bucket, it's so easy to say, let me tell you why I responded that way. It was because of what was dropped in. And Jesus said very clearly, it has nothing to do with what's being dropped in. It has everything to do with what's inside. And then he said, clean what's inside. James says, you know, the tongue can no man tame. Your tongue can never be converted. You'll never have a converted tongue and an unconverted heart. It'll never happen. Because sometimes when the fire comes, sometimes when the flood comes, and things rise up and you say things, you know why you say those things? Because your tongue, your overflow is simply a function of what's inside. That's completely where it's at. Not what just fell upon you, but because of what was inside. I believe one of our greatest problems facing us is there's not many people willing to admit, I have a problem. We're more willing to admit blame. You know, they, they, if they wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have reacted. My personality is more to be, and my, and we're, we're blaming it on how we were taught or how we were thinking, but in actuality, rather than coming back and saying, hey, I got a problem. And stop putting the frustration on the fire and repent of the selfishness that's taking you away from a godly path. I, I believe Jesus is saying in 1 Corinthians 3, I bring these fires in your life to save you. To save you. They're a headache now. There's no question about that. They're an incredible headache now. But they're there to save us. To help us look and say, you know, my house fell apart. And there's a reason for that. What am I building with? All of us recognize quickly when other believers are living irresponsibly. It's easy to see when others' houses crumble. But as I studied this and I looked at where is the Mennonite church going to be in 50 years? I think some of the struggle that we, we are facing and reaping now is I believe that people from past generations held to a doctrine that they would never let go in a public way, but it didn't personally, wasn't real to them. Oh, they believed in not murdering, but they could split a church over any little detail because right here they would use this to murder people. And when the houses would come apart, well, there's always a good reason for that. But it's never my fault. Never my fault. 
I am building with the doctrines I've been taught. But are they real in our lives when the floods come? Everyday life when the flood, when it's raining, when the wind's blowing a little bit. Do our children see and say, you know, there's something, there's something real. I think I want that something real. If you're able to kneel, would you kneel for prayer? Father in heaven, we come to your presence in the name of Jesus, the only foundation for a life that could be pleasing before the Father. Lord, I pray that as Jesus spoke when the floods come and when the wind beats, Lord, I pray we would be a people who recognize, who admit we have problems, we have need for change. Lord, that our lives could be filled with the love of Christ, with the joy of Christ, because we're building on a sure foundation. And not only that, we're taking heed how we're building thereon. Not with neglect because of claiming a profession that's empty, but because of repentance, because of a renewed spirit by the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. And I thank you for the doctrines that have been handed to us. Thank you for the great gift. But Lord, I pray in our personal lives we would be embracing these things that could truly show the world your love, your grace, and your power upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.